For me, one of the worst parts of being a kid is the wagging finger. I don't know about you, but I find it kind of passive-aggressive. I'm not sure what it means. Usually it involves the leaning over and the drives me nuts. I hate it. I could hear my name. David, don't do that. Of course, sometimes I had all my names, then I knew I was in big trouble. And then there was two of us. Well, the two of you should stop fighting. I think I heard that more than anything in my household to my sister and I. You two should stop fighting. But you notice it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of not really angry and, well, not really happy at the same time. And then we go to school. Now class, settle down. Usually we have, well, this is the picture I have. Now class, settle down. I need a bun. I need any hair, but I need a bun on the back there. There is that feeling that, I don't know, for me, I'd rather someone put me over their knee and spank me or yell, go to your room and figure out what you've done and then come back downstairs. But that, now don't do that, just drives me nuts. I feel like they're patting me on the head saying, you can be better, little boy. You can be better than that. Why do I say that? Because with that attitude, I read the two last verses of chapter 2. And I'm going to read them to you with the attitude I read them when I started this week. Please forgive me, Lord, this may seem a little irreverent. And now, oh, sorry. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we will be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You know that he is righteous. You know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. It just felt like kind of a scolding now, you know. And then I checked my baggage at the door. And I read it the way I think John intended it to be read, with excitement, with passion. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. What a thought. We can be confident and unashamed in the presence of perfection. It's not a scolding. It's an exciting statement if I don't bring my old bad attitude into it. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. What an assurance. Do you know God is righteous? Then you know that you want to do what's right because that's what it is to be born of him. What an exciting set of verses unless you bring a bad attitude, which I did when I read it. But then I went on. And there's a section of scripture here. It's only two sentences of the next verse, but I don't know how anybody can read it in a bad attitude. These are verses that ring in my ears, that make me excited. Chapter 3, verse 1, the first two sentences. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. How can you not be excited? Children of God loved lavishly. It's not just we're called that. I don't know if you noticed, there's sort of a doubling up there. It wasn't just you're called the children of God. That is what we are. It's not just a name, it's a position. It's not just a title, it's a way of being. It should be exciting. Lavishing love on us. But some of you may be thinking, well, why don't I feel that way? Well, actually, John answers that in the next sentence. The next sentence is, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I feel unsettled living in this world. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I belong, and I don't like that feeling. 
I don't know anybody who wants to be somewhere where they feel they don't belong, they don't fit in. It's an uncomfortable feeling. So we have one verse of scripture that gets us exciting, excited, but then we look at it and we go, but how come I don't always feel excited? God lavishes love. He bestows on us generous, extravagant love. That's pretty big. It's so far beyond anything we've ever experienced, and yet we don't feel so great sometimes. One of the most difficult things about following Christ is that you are an outsider. And if you don't ever feel like an outsider, let me ask you to ask yourself, do you really follow Christ? That's a tough question. you got to answer that. That's between you and God. But if you feel comfortable every day of your life in the world we live in, there's a chance you're not fully surrendered to God. It's not a comfortable place. So the most difficult thing is being an outsider. The greatest thing about following Christ is I am a child of God. I belong to a family. It's bigger than this church family. I belong to God. He is my father and he loves me. Those who find their purpose in God can have a sense of peace in a world that does not align with them. Those who find their purpose in this world will never have peace with God. It is tough. This is asking you to leave the family that's there that you can, you can see, you can experience. The family of fellow human beings to join a family that you cannot see and the experience is different. And yet, one offers you love, the other offers you sinfulness. Peace comes from faith in God. Living out our faith calls us, causes us, demands that we live out his commands. But there's a struggle. No matter how hard we try to live out what God calls us to do, we fail, we sin, we fall short. Fitting into the culture is a demand that I hear all the time. I hear it because everything I'm asked to do on my television, everything I'm asked to do from my politicians, everything I hear on the news says, you need to accept what the world has for you because everybody's right, everybody's okay. And if I reject fitting in, I become lonely. The people around me don't agree. I don't know about you, but... There are people that are built to, that they need to be agreed with all the time. There are other people who don't care, and then there's people down the middle. But I don't care how you are built. It's tough, no matter which way you go in this, to be in a world that does not agree with you. To take a stand for something and say, my God, ask that I do this this way, and realize you're the only one in the room willing to take that stand. It is lonely being a Christian. That's why we need Sunday morning church. This is the one place, and our small groups as well, but these are the places where we can gather together and actually feel like we belong. Because unless you work in an environment that's mostly Christians, you don't belong. This isn't your place. There's a reward for those who turn to God, but it's a difficult, difficult journey. Those who desire to follow God have a reward coming. We will see him. We will be like him. But we will also be lonely during this lifetime. 
I can't stress it enough. If you are coming to Christianity to feel happy in the world, you will not be happy unless you join the world. We need to enjoy the love of God because the love of this world tears us away from what is right and is fleeting and temporary. Let's move on in 1 John. 1 John 3, 2 through 6. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Those are some tough verses. They start exciting again, kind of like how, how great the love of God that he lavishes on us. And then it goes, but the world doesn't know you. And it's kind of like, I'm excited, but I don't fit in. Then it says, we're going to see him. We're going to be like him. But then it says, but we can't go on sinning. If we go on sinning, we don't know him at all. But the one thing I want you to hear from this is the fact that, that the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. So a few paragraphs before in this letter, John says the same thing he says in verse 7. He talks about not being led astray. In John 2, 26, it says this, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. In verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. This must matter. Why repeat it so close together? Maybe because it's easy to want to fit in. Maybe because we so desperately want to be part of what's around us. Maybe it's our natural longing to be in a sinful world and fit in. John is a book of warnings. It's also a book of excitement about for those who embrace God. But no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Do not continue to sin, he's saying, or you do not know God. Why do we need to be warned? Because in this world, the work of the devil is prominent. Satan is the works of the world. I think too often we downgrade his power. We need to understand that Satan has power, but God has more. When we act as though Satan is just this funny thing with hooves and horns and whatever your cartoon idea is, powerless and laugh at, laughable, that is not true. Satan is here trying to get us to join the world. That's what he rules. But God is saying, join me. I think a lot of it is who we choose to listen to. It is easier to listen to someone that you're in the room with, to hear someone, to read their lips, and the world is constantly speaking at us. But do we choose to listen to God? We are so easily led astray. If you are honest with yourself, this week at some point the world said, come here, come here, and you said, okay. And you didn't even recognize that you had fallen for the sinfulness because, hey, we're just a lovely group of people that want to get along with everyone. Read the Gospels. Jesus didn't get along with everyone. 
Those who follow Jesus will not get along with everyone. I'm not saying go out there and start beating people up and screaming and yelling at them. But I'm saying if you stand for anything that God does, it's going to stand against sin. And sin is the nature of the person who lives in the world. If we are led astray, we have a new father. He's a father of lies. We become children of the devil. Isn't that harsh? We don't want to hear that from the pulpit. We want everything to sound good, but let's be honest. We are going to have one of two fathers. It's either going to be God or Satan. There is no in-between. You don't sort of get to heaven and sort of go to hell. It is an in-or-out situation. And the devil has been trying forever to destroy us. Slithering up like a serpent, he says, eat that fruit. And questioned, did God really say that? Today in this world, he's doing the same tricks. Does God really say that certain things are sin? Oh, no, it's no big deal. Eve is just the beginning of what Satan is still doing out there. Trying to draw us away from the love of God for an empty life. Did God really say that you're going to be lonely? He said, some of us are going to die for our faith. That we cannot love the world more than we, we love God. As a matter of fact, the word used is you're going to end up hating things. We're also told that our enemies may be in our own household. We may not have relationship with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. It is a lonely existence if you want to be fulfilled by the world because Satan has done everything he can to make what is around us look appetizing, look exciting, so we go against God. I don't think we recognize it. I don't because sometimes it's nice to just fit in. Some of you know that I studied as an actor. I was in Ryerson Theater School. At that time, there were two schools to go to, and whichever school you went to was the best in your own mind. I don't know if I was longer than three months into it when I realized I couldn't do what they were asking me to do. It's one thing to play a part that does evil. It's another thing to play a part in something that glorifies evil. And that was 30 years ago. Maybe a little more than 30, but let's not talk about that. It was a while ago. It's one thing to do a wonderful British comedy and we all laugh and it's all wholesome, but that's not what they were asking. I love acting. There are days you can ask my wife, she probably hates watching TV with me. I'm talking about comedic timing on certain shows. Oh, did you notice how that timing was perfect? There are days when I can picture doing that job and then I realize I'm asked to wear away at what God says and make everything look happy and normal that is sinful and I can't do that. But that tug is there for me. I miss it. I miss acting. And if you think this is acting up here, it's not. I miss the chance to have a script where I don't have to listen to what God's saying. I've got pre-written words. It's easier, but then I find myself up here. You know what's difficult about this is some of you may not like what I have to say because I'm not here to entertain you. But recognizing the world is pulling me, recognizing that and the fact I don't look like any of the Brad Pitts of the world, I probably wasn't going to go anywhere anyway. That was hard on me too. But I love acting, but I don't like presenting a message that is not godly. I had a choice to make, and I actually left theater school. I did do theater in churches. I love doing it. But my point being is that what I wanted out of life was not what God wanted for me. 
I could not be a light to the world. But Satan has been pulling us that way for a long time. If we go on into verse 8 through 10, we hear, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. See there, we, we are the devils then. He becomes our father. Because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who God's children are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. The temptation is real. I shared something you probably would never have thought of because most of you haven't probably been through that. Choosing a secular career that would bring honor and fame in the world's eyes or choosing God's path for me, it's still tough. Satan still plays on my desires to be on stage, my joy of being someone else to other people. Satan can fool us. Because the rewards of Satanized ideas are immediate and obvious, aren't they? When we do what the world wants us to do, we gain things right away. And it's so obvious. But we need to remember those rewards are also devastating and eternally damaging. When we follow Satan, we may get a really wonderful, fun time at that moment. But what are we selling? Our eternal life. Who becomes our lineage, our parent? Satan does. The allure of the flesh is there. It becomes a definition of right and wrong. And trust me, I don't understand right and wrong. We're born of God, we become children of God. If we're born of evil and we remain born of evil, we remain children of Satan. Now it does say don't go on sinning. That's a tough one, isn't it? Anybody here not sinning since they became a Christian? Did anybody manage to not go on sinning? See, I think Satan loves to whisper things about the Bible. Think about that. You don't go on sinning, and yet the Bible says we all sin. Is the Bible wrong? Is it made up by mankind, and it's incorrect, and John messed it up? Or is it that you're such a failure, you're not going to heaven? Because I know that Satan likes to trick us. He's devious. Say to you, you sinned, so you failed. You might as well just go on sinning. You've messed up. Listen to John. He says, we don't go on sinning. But that's not what it means. Let's go back to 1 John 2, verse 1. This is the verse I think we need to read the whole 1 John through this lens. My dear children, I write you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John didn't say we wouldn't end up sinning. He said there's a plan. What is John trying to say here? We don't continue in a life of sin. We don't continue in a life that permits sin. We don't go on in our sinful ways. See, maybe that's the problem we've got, is that we think we can play both sides. I can follow Jesus. I can enjoy the love lavished on me. I can enjoy being a Christian, but I can keep being the same person. We are to be transformed by the love that God lavishes on us. But is that really happening? Are we really looking to be different people? Are we trying to hang on to both worlds? One's running that direction, one's running that direction. 
can only hang on so long until one of your arms gives out and you join the other side. God has lavished his love on us. God has said if we miss the mark, if we are unable to obey him, we can be forgiven. But the thing is, we have to desire to hit that mark, to accept the love he's lavished on us, to be different from the world, and actually to accept loneliness. But that loneliness does not last. When we're in Christ, that is not loneliness from anything but the world. We have our Father with us. We will sin. We will mess up. But we need to trace our lineage to God. He's our daddy. You know, the word Abba is translated directly as father. But when it's used by a child, when you hear verses like, we can cry, Abba, father, that is in a childlike fashion. That is a term of endearment that matches daddy. Even though it directly translates as father, our daddy loves me. Our daddy loves you. He lavishes on you. If you feel lonely today because the world is saying, come to me, and you're saying, I can't do that, your daddy loves you. He wants you to be close to him. He has adopted you as his own child. You don't fit the family. The family's perfect. I don't fit the family. The family's perfect. I don't look like God at all. I look like sin. I look more like the world. But my daddy loves me and says, that's okay. I've dealt with it. I've given up my own son for you. The world does not know us and it will never know us. If we could just accept that, then we wouldn't be fighting to be known by the world. If we could just rest in the love of God. So what is the challenge today? How do we align with God? What if we tried a different approach? I can keep reading through John here and say, you know, you're in or you're out, be in the lightness, be in the dark, and keep saying, Ollie, don't sin, love your brother. What if we just stop trying to do anything but one thing? Accept the love that God lavishes on us. Don't you just want to please your daddy? I don't know about you, but if you had a good upbringing or you had those beautiful moments with the parent where the love was shown from the parent... Didn't you just want to curl up their lap and make them happy? Isn't it the natural result of someone who feels love to love back? What if we just let God love us, lavish, extravagantly and generously give us love so our natural response is, yes, Daddy, I'll do whatever you ask. What if we just recognize that love? Maybe if that was our, our life verse, we're not only the children of God by name, we are God's children loved with extravagance. We didn't deserve it. We're about to enter what I call the true transition phase. This is where we start to look at moving forward by truly addressing the past. This is where we say, God, what do you have for us? If we can't accept that God loves us extravagantly and generously, then we can't move forward because it's never comfortable to go against the ways of the world or the comforts in our lives. But God wants to walk with us, to hold our hands as a church and as individuals. What if that was the verse every time we talked about moving forward and someone said, I'm uncomfortable, I don't feel like I belong here, and we said, but I belong to God. God, lead us. 
There is a path forward from where we are today, but it's only going to feel safe if we let God love us extravagantly. As a church, the future lies in the hands of the daddy that loves us. Can we embrace that? Can we let God love us? What if the only marker in your life was to say, yes, daddy, I accept your love. You'll never be lonely again. The ways of the world won't matter. And the way of the church will be the way of God to be loved extravagantly and to love one another and those around us, our neighbors, extravagantly and generously. All else will fit into place. Let me challenge you to read that verse with excitement. In your prayer time, start out your prayer time going, God, I know you love me. I know I'm your child. Help me to accept that love. Help me to rejoice in who I am in you. What if every day at work, you walked in and under your breath, you said, I am a child of God. The world does not matter. What happens today does not matter. Tomorrow doesn't matter. I am loved no matter what. Maybe you'd wake up without the baggage I talked about, but with excitement saying, my daddy loves me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is nothing we can do to chase you away, but you pursue us when we don't deserve it. Lord, thank you that when we feel lonely, it's not because you've abandoned us, but because we don't belong in a world that is sinful. God, for those who feel lonely today, remind them of your love. For those of, you, those of us who are fighting not to join the world, remind us that there is a better way, a difficult way, but one that is so wonderful. Thank you, Daddy, for loving us. Thank you, Daddy, for not leaving us. Thank you, God, for being our Father.